1: you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com/slash host.
0: This is Broad Radio. For you, by you. Broad
2: Radio. Here for more. Hello and welcome to Broad Radio. I'm Jo Stanley and my co-host today is Angela Pippos. Hi there, and Good morning, Joe. Good morning, everyone. Oh, it's so delightful to be here this Tuesday morning and I'm really excited about this show today because we want it to be as useful as possible always and entertaining, of course, but uh, in just a moment, our first guest is going to be Professor Mark Dads from Movember to talk about their new parenting course for dads because... Let's face it, parenting is hard for mums and dads, but parenting is easy when both... Parents are engaged and feeling confident and families are happier that way. So we're looking forward to hearing all about that from Professor Mark Dads. Also today, we continue working with Morris Blackburn lawyers. And so we're going to be joined by their National Head of Medical Negligence, Demetra Dubrow, who is going to be telling us about if we receive medical treatment and we feel as though we have not received duty of care in that treatment. What actually are our rights? And later on, we're going to have a laugh with comedian (laughs) Anna Piper-Scott. And I know you're saying we need a laugh, don't we, Ange? We certainly do because at the moment I've got
0: a lot of anger inside me because of what's going on with the Australian politics at the moment.
2: So mm. comedy, we need as much comedy as possible. Absolutely. So later on in the show, Anna Piper-Scott is going to be joining us and we can't wait for that. Thank you for joining us on Broad Radio. If you normally watch us on Facebook, it's not behaving today, Facebook, our live stream, so I feel like I'm talking to the <laughs> abyss. If you are normally joining us on <laughs> Facebook, it's not working. So we're joining you on YouTube. YouTube only today but you can actually catch up on our brand new podcast which is broad radio on the go it's available now and you can download all of the episodes after they happen um, we're available on acast apple spotify amazon wherever get you get your um, podcasts so check that out um, and if you are watching on youtube we'd love it if you liked and subscribed us that would be really helpful to us now um, you mentioned that you've got a lot of anger there, Ange. And do you know what? I mm-hmm. was really looking forward to starting the show talking about something really fun, which is the fact that we're in a time mm-hmm. of delicious food, right? So we've got Passover this weekend. There's Greek Easter, uh non Greek Easter, whatever we call that. Christian, what do we call that? The non. <laughs> oh, we just Easter. call it in
0: in our house. We just call it the yeah. other one. <laughs>
2: So what it means is with all of these beautiful celebrations and family time, we've got just delicious food choices all around us and I wanted to talk about food guilt but unfortunately, no, here we go again with a news cycle Mm. that, Ange, what has unfolded in the last 24 hours is that, well, allegations that four male Liberal Party staffers have been committing lewd acts inside the offices of female MPs, horrific. Uh, what else? Last night on Four Corners, we heard from the security guard, Nic- Nicola Anderson, who discovered uh, Brittany Higgins in the office of uh, Linda Reynolds after her alleged rape. Um, I mean, it's, it's just, it continues and continues. And when is it going
1: to yes. end?
0: My anger isn't going anywhere. It's probably intensified after the sort of revelations of the past 24 hours. Let's start with the lewd acts. I mean, these are just a small part of a much more serious, toxic culture um, at Parliament House, a culture that gets off literally on disrespecting women. Mm. And it's, 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 it's not about sex there. That's about power. That's about um, marking territory. It's, it's horrendous. It is so unacceptable. That's that. And then last night's Four Corners filled in some of the gaps for us. It was chronological. It was precise. It told the story of the Brittany Higgins case. The security guard was courageous enough to speak out on the show last night. So what is going on? with the inquiry into the Prime Minister's office. We, the people, I mean, we owe it to the women who have spoken out, but also the people of Australia demand answers. We are being treated like fools at the moment, and it makes me so angry. Um, but with my anger, I'm going to channel it into positive change. That's the only option for me and for, you know, a lot of people, women and men, is to do something productive with that anger and demand more from our
2: government. Mm, yes. It does and, feel like we, the people, are a little powerless in demanding more because how do we actually access them and expect and receive the change that we want? Well, I think
0: now because we've got some terrific journalists um on the case, uncovering the truth, um, it, I think it'll start to snowball now. We, 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 I mean, I don't think those in power can continue to hide from this. I mean, every second person is calling it a cover-up. Um, it, it now looks like we haven't been told everything. Um, that was our suspicion a few weeks ago, and now it's looking more and more like that. So we need we need answers. For us to grow yeah. as a nation, we need answers. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's been distressing. But last night was it was a real shift in our knowledge, really, mm-hmm. of, of what's been going on.
2: You know, I have to say, though, Ange, and I, I, I always try to seek some kind of, uh, I don't know, a little bit of light in the darkness, generally mm-hmm. speaking. And for myself, one thing, and you mentioned courage there, I really have to acknowledge there's three people in this story that are incredibly courageous. One, of course, being Brittany Higgins, who, you know, just that very moment that she spoke out about her experience, extraordinary courage. Also, security guard Nicola Anderson, who she's fearful of losing her job and she's spoken Mm -hmm. out about, you know, how the events unfolded on that night. But also the whistleblower who has shared this culture that he has witnessed of these lewd acts and everything else. I mean, you know, just what happens in a workplace for this to – you know, it is outright misogyny and he has spoken out about that, which is extremely courageous. And without people like him, nothing will change. So, you know, we always talk about the fact that we need men and women working together and he's really Mm -hmm. given us a a role model – of how and how men and women can work together to make this change, and you know, there is great courage in him. I totally agree with you,
0: and it's the culture of the place that allows this kind of behaviour to happen. Uh, we now have to demand some respect and leadership on this issue mm. um, because it's, it's frankly, it is disgusting, and it's not good enough. And you know, th- this is this is the Australian Parliament. <laughs> this mm. place is supposed to reflect us. At the moment, I don't feel represented. Um and I and I and I'm really angry about it. So, um
2: yeah. I really you're want right. to encourage all of our audience to not be Disheartened and not to give up the fight because, you know, what mm. you're saying there, Angie, is right, that we have to say this is unacceptable and use whatever means available to us. Um, we did actually just run a More to Say poll. We run these every week. And our last question was, did you march for justice on the 15th of March? And our results were 10% did march Thank you, awesome people who were able to do that. 74% said couldn't get there, but there was there in spirit. It was a difficult day to do this because it was a Monday. Um, but we did yep. have 16% say, oh, don't see the point, nothing will change. And I really want to say to that 16%, we, mm. it's so easy to be disheartened and it's so easy to feel completely defeated and despairing, but we can't mm. allow that to happen, I guess. Yes. As I said, channel that anger,
0: disappointment, frustration, bewilderment, whatever it is, mm. channel it into some positive change. Um, and if we all do that, and, and the, I would like the next March to be on the weekend, and then yes, we can me too. You know, include more women and men and, and, mm-hmm. and
2: kids. Um, but we have to do something with this anger, you know, harness it. Yep, yeah. All right, so um we do run those More to Say polls, I should say, every yep. week and we have a new question up there which I'll tell you about a little later on, but if you do actually enter our More to Say poll, I must mention that one lucky person will win Ooh. a gorgeous bottle of Moores Hill Estate Blanc de Noir sparkling valued at fifty five dollars. Thanks to this gorgeous winery in Tasmania, beautiful Moores Hill Estate. It's where the grapes are powered by the sun, Ange, because they are 100% off-grid. So uh, make sure you check out a More to Say poll because there's a possible little uh, gorgeous uh, prize in there for you. Ange, we need to move on. And I want to ask you, okay, you and I are both mums, right? And we both have partners who, we're really lucky, are very engaged as fathers. Would you say that about your lovely partner, Simon? I would. Um,
0: Our son, Francis, couldn't have a better role model as a dad. Uh, Simon does a lot and you know if he was here now (laughs) he'd probably say he's been doing um, the lion's share of the work around the house because I have been incredibly busy trying to get that documentary over the line. So Mm. uh, Simon is um, he's not just there in that sense though he's emotionally very much connected to Um, our son Francis they look the same they have the same sort of personality type Mm -hmm. Um, they are peas in a pod so yeah I'm I'm um, I shouldn't say lucky because it should be like this yeah Simon is is terrific and um, it's beautiful to watch it's a beautiful relationship to sort of step back and and see how they connect because Mm. it is a bit different to Francis and I interesting how they they do things, yeah, differently yeah. with each parent.
2: Well, you know, I, uh, my husband Daz and my daughter Willow are absolutely obsessed with each other. It's just gorgeous. And in the same way, really beautiful to watch. <laughs> but Ange, I grew up without a father because my dad died when I was four. And, um, I mm-hmm. just, I'm so, um, moved when I see dads who feel confident in their role, because I don't think mm. it's easy. I mean, parenting is hard in general for mums and dads. Yeah. Um, but if you haven't got the role modelling, sometimes you just can feel a little bit lost and you need a little bit of guidance. That's that's so true. And my dad
0: was so busy trying to carve out a career um, that he often wasn't there for us growing up as well. I mean, he and mum and dad had very clearly defined roles down Gender lines, um, which I later discovered <clears throat> wasn't all that great, mm. um, but at the time I wasn't aware of, you know, gender roles and stereotypes and that kind of thing growing up. Um, but my dad was, was was busy working, you know. Yeah. Putting food on the table.
2: Well, that is a very common story as well. So we are really pleased to be talking right now about a latest initiative from Movember. It's called Family Man. It's a simple and Mm -hmm. easily accessible online parenting course for dads. Uh, It's designed by leading child behaviour specialists and psychologists. And here is a little something to explain it to you.
3: In a world... Where parents can uh, sometimes struggle, Uh, and kids, well, let's face it, can be a bit of a nightmare. It's just a dream. Movember presents Family Man, a free interactive adventure grounded in years of clinical research that helps parents of all kinds to team up and battle evil uh, uh, and master the art of parenting. Okay, Ollie. Time
2: out is over.
3: This critically acclaimed choose your own adventure style masterpiece provides you with the evidence-based tools you need to engage your children, navigate through all the tricky situations parenting throws at you and overall, just how to deal with kids when they're being Oh, we're not allowed to say that. Okay, take two. <laughs> he does what I say or I smack him one. Overall, getting dad involved through quick, easy, and practical strategies to help parent with confidence. It's easy. It's free. It works. Did okay today. Family man out now.
2: <laughs> oh, well, there is no doubt that parenting can be a horror movie of Hollywood proportions. <laughs> and we welcome to Broad Radio one of the experts that helped design or created this program. He is a psychologist and child behaviour specialist. Welcome, Professor Mark Dads. Hi, Mark. Very
4: amusing trailer
2: there.
4: Oh, it's wonderful. It's it's the classic Movember style, kind of funky and edgy and... Uh, you know, every time we've tried to produce a program like that, it's always been very staid and boring and they came along and brought in the international team and said, let's let's get this, you know, something that's really engaging and really entertaining as well as practical.
2: Oh, we love it. So, Mark, um, you know, obviously families thrive when both parents are involved, but I don't think it's as simple as asking dads to step up more. Why do you see or what's your observation of why dads might sometimes struggle to parent?
4: Well... I should say that my work and what Family Man is about is about managing child behaviour problems when kids get out of control, you know, the tantrums and the fighting and the non-compliance and so on, and that stuff can be really tricky to deal with. And if you've got it happening on a daily basis so that, you know, every mealtime is like World War Three and getting the kids ready is is a disaster area, then sometimes Um, Parents, you know, they get really stressed themselves. They get really down. The family life becomes a battle zone. And we found that when we're working with families to, to remediate these problems, it's generally the mums that were seeking out our help. And the fathers were absent. They were like, this is not my problem. Or they were saying, I don't exactly know what to do. And so they were kind of avoiding the situation. And we know that when, if you've got both parents in the family, if they work as a team and they approach this together, it's much more powerful and more effective.
0: We all want, uh, Mark, our, our kids to be happy and healthy, but there's no rule book for this, as, as you say, and there's no such thing as, you know, that the perfect style of parenting, each case, is different. What strategies do you offer here to help especially dads navigate through those, those tricky parenting situations?
4: Well, it's it's interesting in psychology that there actually are really proven techniques for how to manage these common behaviour problems. And so, what we've done with Movember is present the, the, these kind of evidence based very practical ways of responding to children that we know work with them. And, you know, I've been personally doing this for 30, 40 years now, and this stuff works. If you do it, if you implement it when the kids are throwing tantrums and all that, you get a drop in them and the kids become happier and you become happier.
2: I uh, did check out some of it uh, last night, Mark, because I need all the help I can get as well. My daughter's 12, so she's a little outside your age bracket that you're aiming for, but she was still on occasion getting tantrums of a different kind. Um, But one of the things I really enjoyed is the notion of celebrating, or sorry, um, encouraging and rewarding the behaviour you want to see. Um, And you use rewards like spending time together and affection which I, I thought, that's interesting. I've never thought of that as a way of rewarding behaviour. That, to me, you think that might come naturally. But it's, it doesn't necessarily, does it? Do we need to kind of teach no. our parents how to be affectionate and how to prioritise time with our kids?
4: Yeah, look, that's such a good such a good point because these days most parents have done some kind of course and when they come in to see us, they we say, this is what we're going to do, we're going to you know, use a lot of affection and so on, and they, and they say, oh, no, I've already been trained to do rewards, I use praise and so on. And we're like, no, you can't just use praise or, or gifts. You've got to be erratic, unpredictable And uh, you've got to mix and match everything you can. So when you see a child in, in doing something nice, you've got to spring them and go, I saw that, following instruction, playing nicely, speaking to me in a nice voice, and then follow it up with all sorts of unpredictable, loving engagement, finding joy in them, spending time, taking them for a walk down the park, giving them something. Yes, using descriptive praise. But if you just use the same reward every time the children get bored very, very quickly, and so you've got to match these kind of this mixed bag of responses to, to what's going to work for your child.
0: Mm. And, Mark, COVID um, created some chaos and made us, you know, <laughs> adapt our parenting to suit the situation. Um, not that we want to think about going back into that sort of madness again. But I did notice on this on the site that there are some tips for spending extra time together at home. Um how important was it to outline those strategies?
4: I did a um a, a, a like a workshopy thing, an online uh podcast at the start of the pandemic and and within a minute of us putting it online we had we had thousands of people psychologists mental health workers families and all that going help us we're trapped in the home with the kids we have to be teachers for them we're trying to manage their behavior we're trying to work at the same time it was really challenging and some families actually did thrive during that and discovered very simple things about what was important to them again with their kids and so on. But for others, it was very, very stressful. And having some simple daily rules about how to manage life together under those circumstances were very, very important. And if people want to see those, you can uh, pop onto the, uh, the website and you'll see my top 10 tips for coping with lockdown with your kids. You can
2: never have too many tips in my opinion, Mark. Yes. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call myself out in this right now because I am a bit of a control freak as a mother and I no. wonder – can you believe that, <laughs> <laughs> Um I hadn't noticed. <laughs> I wonder if sometimes mums need to just step the hell back. And let dads make mistakes and kind of feel their way and maybe do things differently to the way they might do it, and just empower men to step up a bit. Would you agree with that?
4: Oh uh, look, this is really interesting, Joe. This is one of the most common dynamics I've seen across my career is where the mum has become kind of the career parenting person who's worried about all of the daily stuff and everything. And the father is kind of going, oh, chill out, will you, chill out. And then if the wife ever says to the, to the husband, you do it, mm. you know, they feel like he didn't do it well enough and so they take over again. And what happens to the father in those circumstances, they often kind of start to step out of the situation and uh, go, this is not for me, I can't, I don't know how to fix these problems, I'll, you know, etc." And so then... The, the mum's going, oh, you're being so slack. I need to step up even further. And then he goes, oh, my God, you're stepping up even further. I'll chill out. And they start to become bouncing off each other until by the time they see me, one is like obsessively controlling and the other one's going, hey, good I times. Really,
2: I really do feel like you've been in my house there, Mark. <laughs> it's a little bit confronting, I've got to say. So we just need to butt out sometimes.
4: Sometimes you just got to smell the roses and go, the mess is okay, chaos is all right, just find some joy. Because you know what, as I say to parents all the time, especially those of teenagers, it'll all be over very soon. Mm. And you won't even remember yes. this little thing you're fighting about today. <laughs>
2: oh, that is such great advice. Well, we recommend you head along to this world first free online course provided by Movember, created by these amazing experts. Go to familyman.movember.com. Um, Professor Mark Dad, so lovely to have you on Broad Radio this morning.
4: That was good fun. Thank you very much. And great. We'll
2: have more Broad Radio <laughs> after this
3: Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST.
0: Broad Radio. Talking inspo we love, info we need, and sharing more of us. Watch and listen live every Tuesday, 9 a.m. Australian Eastern Daylight Savings Time at broadradio.com.au or find us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube and LinkedIn at Broad Radio Oz. Talk to us live. Call on 1300 8 Broad. Catch up on demand anytime, anywhere. Every time, everywhere. On the train, we'll be here. 2am existential crisis, (laughs) we've got you
2: covered. Broad Radio. Here for more. Well, at Broad Radio, we are really pleased to be working with Morris Blackburn lawyers to learn what our rights are and to bring you information about your rights because we really believe that you should never be fearful to ask for advice. And so today we continue working with Morris Blackburn and we welcome to the show Morris Blackburn's National Head of Medical Negligence, Demetra Dubrow. Good morning, Demetra. Good morning, Joe. Good morning, Ange. It's really lovely to have you on the show. Now, I'm fortunate never to have had a bad experience with my Mm. medical treatment, um, but I read about it happening to people all the time. We hear about some really very tragic and sad outcomes. What sorts of claims do you represent? What, What have you seen in your time in medical negligence?
1: Well, the cases that we see are really as broad as medicine itself. It's as vast as medical treatment and um, intervention. So we have cases involving emergency department care or general hospital care, general practice, specialist care, surgical matters. We also have cases involving obstetric care, so stillbirths and neonatal deaths and sometimes it's birth injury to the baby or to the mother. And we also have claims involving mental health care. So it might be that a patient has been able to suicide whilst in a mental health facility or has been able to abscond and um, self-harm or suicide. And then we have cases involving missed or delayed diagnosis of cancer. And um, an example of such a case um, and cases that we see include delayed diagnosis of bowel cancer. So if I can give you an example of a young man in his late 30s who attended his general practitioner, worried about bleeding, and he was referred to a specialist to undergo a colonoscopy, but that specialist performed an examination and diagnosed hemorrhoids and gave him dietary advice. Um, A year later, our client returned to his GP because the bleeding had worsened and then a colonoscopy was performed and um, uh, advanced rectal cancer was diagnosed at that time. He did undergo treatment, but unfortunately, a year later, he was diagnosed with metastatic spread of cancer, so now his condition was terminal. So, in that case, we had to work, work very quickly to bring the claim in the person's lifetime, in our client's lifetime, um, bring the case and resolve it, not only from the point of view of obtaining compensation for him, and that was obviously very important to do that before he passed away, um, in terms of protecting the damages that can be obtained for the person, but also so that he could see justice in his lifetime And we did do that. And as sometimes happens in these terribly sad cases, he died shortly after the claim was resolved. And so fortunately, we do see that there has been increased awareness around delayed diagnosis of cancer and that you're really never too young to have cancer, so screening and testing is really important, but we still see cases involving um, the missed opportunity to diagnose cancer earlier, and that includes delayed diagnosis of breast cancer, where we have cases involving, and one particular one, again, of a young mum of two who was um, presented to her GP having found a lump uh, while she was breastfeeding her youngest daughter. She was referred for an ultrasound, but it came back reporting a blocked milk duct. So um, her cancer diagnosis was delayed because it was only diagnosed when the lump grew and she returned for further testing.
0: Wow. Well, in the past week, Demetra, we've been made acutely aware of this with um, another newborn dying at Blacktown Hospital, and that is the sixth, uh, little newborn um, who's died at that hospital over the past couple of years. I can't imagine the grief those parents are going through. What um, course of action is available to them?
1: Well, yes, this is the latest uh, case in a series of tragic cases involving Blacktown. And we have had um, some families who've been affected by death around the time of birth, contact us and um, seek advice. And um, it's really early days for this family of the latest case, but I can just outline Um, the case of another family involving a death at Blacktown Hospital because they've already talked about their experience and in that case the mother presented to the hospital on the day of the baby's birth. She'd already actually um, attended the hospital a few times beforehand with reduced fetal movements um, but she'd been assessed and discharged but she attended on this day because that was part of the follow-up plan um, from the previous attendances. Um, While she was at the hospital, her waters broke and, um, in fact, the waters showed thick meconium lycor, which is something that can be a sign that the baby's not travelling well. A CTG monitor was placed on her. That's the machine that monitors the baby's heart rate, um, heartbeat. And that monitor showed, um, shortly after it was put on, that the baby's heart rate had fallen right down. And um, a little while later, there was another prolonged, what they call prolonged deceleration. So another drop that was prolonged on this occasion. Um, at the time, the mother texted um, her husband to say the baby's heart rate is um, at around 100 beats per minute. Um, she, he, her husband, couldn't be with her at the time because of COVID. He was later able to join her. But over the next two hours, the CTG trace showed the baby's heart. Uh, beat dropping on a number of occasions. And then, um, when the baby's heart, uh, beat dropped, um, significantly, an emergency caesarean section was performed. There were attempts to resuscitate the baby, but she died shortly thereafter. So that was the fourth case of uh, death in 18 months at Blacktown Hospital. And in that case, the hospital, as it has done with some of the other deaths, themselves ha- have investigated the circumstances surrounding. The death. So that's one thing that can happen in situations like this. The hospital themselves carries out an investigation to obtain some answers. But patients can ask questions, they can seek explanations, even if a hospital hasn't instigated their own investigation, that's something that can be called upon uh, to be done. Um, and if, if, if it's not possible to seek out medical staff to achieve this, then Every public hospital in Australia has a patient liaison officer and they can act as a bit of a go-between for the concerns being raised. Also, in our hospitals in Australia, we have something called open disclosure, so that means that if there's an adverse event, um, the hospital sits down with the family to explain what happened, what changes are being made to prevent the same thing happening again, also to apologise and to hear from the patient about their experience in fact, in Victoria, the government is looking to take that one step further and introduce something called a duty of candour, which would make it um, necessary in, in a case of serious harm for that kind of conversation to happen with a family. You must hear
2: the most terribly sad and tragic stories all the time in your job. Um, but is it the case that everybody you speak with is um, has a, a has a case for medical negligence and and what what can we do if we feel like there is, has not been a duty of care
1: yeah well that's right the cases are incredibly sad and and i was reflecting on the examples that i've just given and how terribly sad they are and tragic um, but as i've said questions can be asked Um, The issue can be raised also with external complaints bodies, and every state around Australia has one. In Victoria it's called the Health Complaints Commissioner's Office and there are equivalent bodies in other states. And if there's a question about professionalism, then a complaint can be made to AHPRA, the Australian Health Practitioners Regulation Authority. But legal advice can also be obtained in relation to the specific circumstances of the case. Um, To see whether or not answers and accountability can be Obtained that way and to see whether the matter is a compensable case. We have lots of families who approach us who are desperate for answers, and yes, there are a number of avenues that people can pursue, but um, through the legal process, answers and getting to the nub of the issue can be achieved, and that does help deliver answers for a lot of families.
2: Mm. Yeah, I do know mm. that um, uh, you, for a lot of people that come to speak with you, part of the process is they want this to not happen to anybody else they want this to be uh, a change in the system and for no one else to experience the kind of hurt that they've gone through
1: yeah that's an incredibly strong sentiment um i can't tell you how many people raise that with us um they uh it's often said that they don't want the same thing to happen to someone else. So um, they don't want their suffering to have been in vain. They want something good and constructive to come out of the process. Um, But also, they are injured, so they do have needs, and that's why they're seeking out compensation, um, which is there to provide for the injury that they've suffered. And that compensation might cover their medical expenses, their financial losses, because they might need equipment and therapy to get them through what for some people who have suffered catastrophic injury can be lifelong, life-changing injuries. And then there is compensation for what's called their pain and suffering, so what they've gone through. But of course, to satisfy a legal claim, we need to satisfy certain criteria. So it's not every case of a poor outcome, yes.
2: Well, uh, we would encourage, though, at every case, if you feel like you do have or have experienced some kind of uh, neglect of duty of care, to ask the questions and to seek advice and not to be fearful to seek advice.
1: That's right. And not every case of... a poor outcome is going to amount to a claim, so it's really important to know whether your individual claim or case is going to amount to a case. We do have to prove that the care departed from the reasonable Mm. standard, so that's care that's outside of what's acceptable. And we often, Mm. and you mentioned it earlier, Joe, doctors and health practitioners owe a duty of care to their patients, that's often talked about, and what that means is that um, uh, The doctor has to provide um, treatment that accords with reasonable skill and care to protect the patient from harm. Um, And so in the case of negligence, we need to have evidence that supports that that's the case, but also to link that poor care with the outcome and the injury, which in medicine can sometimes be difficult to disentangle what's from the underlying condition or injury that's being treated and what's from the poor care that's been provided. Mm.
0: Demetra many people have the conversation about um let's get a second opinion um I mean I know I've sat in a waiting room before and had that conversation um what, what in a nutshell should we know about our rights I mean a second opinion is is surely important there as well
1: Well, we can, in a private setting, uh, seek out and obtain a second opinion if we're concerned about the information and the advice that we're being provided, and we shouldn't hesitate to do that because... Um, Delay can have an impact on an outcome, so it's important to seek out that advice. But also, in a hospital setting, um, while a patient is receiving treatment, they can request a second opinion. We do, in Queensland, have a uh, formalised program and in some other states where a patient can call for uh, another doctor to come and review them, a doctor who hasn't previously been involved in the care, to provide Um, you know, fresh eyes to the problem and to the issue. In Queensland, that's called Ryan's Rule and named after a three-year-old little boy called Ryan who died from a bacterial infection. But um, even though it's not um, a nationwide um, escalation process, it's something that patients can avail themselves of. So If at any time patients or their families are concerned about the treatment, they can call for that second opinion and they should do so. The other thing that people don't often realise is that they can obtain their own medical records um, from a health practitioner or a hospital. we often hear about the Freedom of Information Act, and that can be relied upon to obtain records or equivalent legislation from public hospitals, But people can also obtain their records from private hospitals or private practitioners under what's called the Privacy Act or equivalent. There's a fee to pay, but it's, it's an access to your health information and assists people to gain a better understanding of the medical treatment they've received. Demetra, that is
2: really great information and I'm glad that you've shared Mm. that because I think that often we feel a little intimidated by the medical profession and by the people that are treating us and we always Mm. hear that we have to be our own advocate for our health but sometimes you can talk and talk and ask and ask and you still feel not listened to. So it's really wonderful to understand what our rights are and to not be fearful to ask for more information and to sort of, um, I guess, insist on better Care. And if you are concerned, of course, seek advice. There are many amazing organisations out there that can assist you with this. Demeter Dubrow from Morris Blackburn Lawyers, thanks so much for your time today. Thank you, Jo. Thank you, Ange. <music> Well, the Melbourne International Comedy Festival is upon us and it's so wonderful now to welcome to the show a very funny woman. Her name is Anna Piper-Scott. Hello, Anna.
4: Hello.
5: Thank you for having me.
2: I understand that your show, (laughs) Queer and Present Danger, opens tonight in Melbourne? Yes, tonight at 10pm at the Butterfly Club. Okay, so uh, Queer and Present Danger, it, you say, is uh, debunking myths around trans. Tell us, what are the kinds of myths as a fabulous trans woman? Um, do we know, do, you know, what kind of myths are out there? What do we get wrong about, about trans? Um,
5: well I think the biggest one is that everyone uh is putting this myth out there that trans women are trying to get to women's bathrooms, especially, but women's spaces in general, trying to get into women's sports, um, and just this whole idea that uh trans people are doing this some way to gain an advantage, especially trans women that there's some kind of like special benefit to being a woman that we're trying to, you know, steal uh and not that we're not meant to have access to uh rather than us just being ourselves and just expressing who we are you know just this in- insane idea that there's somehow a lot of money and fame in women's sports that we're trying to get to you know it's just kind of like I, I don't know if that's the most profitable career path I think there's probably <laughs> a lot more places I could be making money and getting fame and getting recognition as a cis man <laughs> than I would as a trans woman <laughs> yeah. you know like this You is make a, a very an good point.
4: Ruse.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're not there yet in women's sport. It certainly doesn't <clears throat> attract the riches that men's sport <laughs> attracts. So why would you yeah. why would you go through all and of it, this to get crumbs? <laughs> it's never an
5: accusation that they throw at trans men, by the way. It's never something that they're going like, oh you're trying to get the money and fame of being a, tr- a man in sport, which there's a lot of, there's a lot of power and privilege there. Like if anyone was going to be making that change, that's the way you'd be going to exploit things. But it's not happening. Like you don't go through all this to to exploit stuff. It's it's too difficult to, mm. you know, the, the benefits for it are just emotional, they're personal, they're not financial. <laughs> <by
4: any means.
0: laughs> this is so true. Um, comedy has a long and proud history of going where society is too scared to go right and this is this is what you are doing um it must feel good to be to know that you are shifting some attitudes along the way how important it is it for you to be seen as a change maker in this space
5: Oh, I, I I love it I just did um I just finished doing two weeks of this show in Adelaide at the Adelaide fringe and it was just really lovely to have people who I mean i I say this in in the show I for many people I'm the first trans person they've ever seen in the wild you know so <laughs> they, they they only hear about us they never hear from us. And I think that's a really kind of, you know, beautiful way to change that. And I think especially when you're hearing it from someone who's making you laugh, I think a lot of people get intimidated to talk or hear about trans people because it's new to them and they think it's going to be intimidating. Whereas it's hard to be intimidated by someone who's making you laugh. It's hard to be intimidated by someone who's, you know, making, you know, dick jokes as it were, you know, it's it's, it's a way to kind of like learn without knowing that you're learning. Mm, you know yes
2: yes I always say Mm, comedy mm. is a little bit it's a spoonful of sugar with the medicine in a lot of ways um yeah I'm just like you know you know funny funny experiences
5: that I've been through that no one else who you know isn't trans has been through and you know then everyone comes out of the other end of it and they're talking to me after the show and they're like it was really funny and they're like I think I learned something you know like they don't realize that they were educated until they get out until you know the, the jokes are starting to fade away and the facts get left behind.
2: So you, you're you like a walking, ask me anything in a lot of ways, Anna. You, you tell me that you're okay with any questions. What are the strangest or most bizarre questions you've been asked? I think
5: usually my problem is that people don't ask me the questions. Ah. You know, you can tell people they're wanting to wonder stuff. They're wanting to, you know, like uh, people always think that the question I get all the time is, you know, like what genitals do you have or have you had the surgery and everything like that? And, I would happily talk about that with anyone who wanted to know, but everyone's just kind of like, you can see them look, you can see them maybe look down at your underwear, you can see them maybe <laughs> try and figure out, but they never actually ask, they never put it out there because they're too afraid of being offensive. They're too afraid of saying the wrong but, thing. They're too
1: scared. That is an offensive know.
2: thing to ask someone, surely. Isn't it good that they've got oh, manners? <laughs> it's good that they've got manners, but I would personally rather
5: that I was out there letting people know having the conversations Mm. you know i think there's a lot of really interesting things to be said about how trans people feel about their genitals i think a lot of people have this idea that um trans people going around hating their bodies the entire time that you know this whole idea that we're like trapped in the wrong body and um i don't feel trapped in the wrong body and i don't think myself as having a man's body i don't think of myself as having a man's genitals you know like i am a woman with a dick therefore i have a woman's dick you know that's how i think about things and um You know i said i don't i i hate how my body is treated by society and sometimes i would like to change that to make it more easy for me to move about society but it's not my body that's the problem it's how my body is viewed and i think that's a very common experience for a lot of women regardless of how they've come about their gender you know it's i know plenty of women who are plus size who feel the same way when Mm -hmm. i talk to them it's just like oh it's i don't hate that i'm fat i hate that everyone makes me feel bad for being fat you know. Mm. It sounds to me like you bring a lot of joy to this conversation
0: and so often we you know we're led to believe it's all very confronting. You've got joy in your voice, you've got joy in your face. What do you say to
5: people who might be
0: thinking I don't know whether to go to that show or not because it is too confronting?
5: Oh I mean it's a very joyful show. I mean the whole point of what I'm trying to do at the moment is is make everyone realize how happy this is, like, that's the, like, running theme throughout the show is that every story that you normally get to hear about trans people is about the tragedy, the pain, the trauma, the, you know, all the things that are wrong with being trans, all the things that are hard about being trans, and I kind of do the show as a way to kind of show, like, look how liberated I am, look how happy I am, look how excited I am, like, being trans is a gift, or at least being able to be open and claim it is, is a gift, you know, that I get to live with authenticity in a way that few people get to, you know, because once you come out of this you kind of don't get to fit in. And that's a bit liberating because you're like, well, if I can't fit in with my gender status, I'm, I'm not going to fit in with my opinions on music. I'm not going to fit in with how I feel about politics. I'm not going to fit in with all these things. I can just go and be who I want to be and find the people who connect with that rather than trying to pretend to be someone that is relatable. Um, and it's, it's a very, it's a very joyful show because of that. You know, it's, mm. I, it's a show where I always feel like people come out of the show kind of, you know, if they're not trans going, kind of wish I was trans it sounds
2: fun it sounds liberating it sounds exciting like it, it, well you know. I think what they well, I don't want to speak on behalf of them but what I'm really responding to right now is how liberated you are in you yourself mm. as a person and you're right that I think in general so many of us are fearful of being ourselves whatever version of that we are like we just are always aware of what are people going to think am I going to fit in am I going to make my parents happy am I going to you know fit in at work like it's just a hearing you speak I think it's really quite um it's revolutionary to hear someone so liberated and so happy with who they are
5: yeah well I mean when I was in the closet when I was pretending to be a boy was I was so worried about saying the wrong thing because I was worried about letting this secret out but I was just On top of that, like, so convinced that I could make everyone like me, that I could please everyone, that I could be everyone's best friend, everyone's favourite person, and now I am instead being this person where I'm like, I've already said the wrong thing. Like, saying that you're trans is the most wrong thing you can say or one of the most wrong things you can say in this society at that moment. I said that, and it actually brought a lot of love and affection in my life. It made a lot of people like me more, so I'm just going to keep saying the wrong thing if it's the thing I believe, and maybe (laughs) it won't be the wrong thing. And maybe a bunch of other people will be like... Actually, now that said that, that sounds like the right thing. And <laughs> everything else I was trying to believe was the wrong thing, you know?
0: Are you funnier now than when you were a man?
5: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely, 100%. <laughs> um, I mean, I generally believe that women are funnier than men. <laughs> um, you know, like, I, I, I feel like I sometimes end up in those, like, cliches about um, sound comedy being reversed. i just kind of like, I just don't find men funny, you know, they just keep talking about this all the time, you know. Like, I, I think women my feeling is that a lot of men are funny in the same way. And I feel like all the women I know are funny in different ways and they're coming from different perspectives and um, especially queer people on top of that. I feel like a lot of men get into stand-up comedy and they're trying to be a specific comedian they grew up watching. You know, they're like, Oh, I want to be Eddie Murphy. I want to be, you know, Bill Burr. I want to be like, you know, I'm trying to become this comedian. I'm trying to emulate this person. Whereas, you know, now that I'm out as a trans woman, I'm like, There's no trans woman comedian for me to emulate. I have to be that comedian. I have to find that unique voice. I have to be the comedian for people to emulate because I don't have anyone to emulate myself. And I think that's the same to an extent for women. I think that's the same to an extent for queer people. And I think, you know, again, like that's one of the gifts. That's one of the perks of of being trans is that I, you know, I, I don't get to pretend to be someone else, you know, I don't have to because of that.
2: Um, And just finally, and it may not be a a funny thing to ask you, but um, I'm really fascinated as someone who has lived life as a man and lived life as a woman, what is your perspective on this extraordinary time where gender equality is really front and centre because of the headlines and the news cycle that is just every day we're reading more and more shocking things um, and we're having conversations in ways that we've needed to for a very long time. What do you see around women's role and how we're treated in society versus the way men are treated? What what are your observations, having lived both sides of this fence?
5: I mean, I think that is one of the benefits of including trans women in feminism. You know, there's a lot of feminists who try and, um, you know, exclude trans women or they at least have this kind of, like, notion of, like... Uh, there's so many other things to do for women that will get to the trans stuff later. Like that's further down the to-do list. Uh, but I have this kind of feeling that, like I'm a, I'm a double agent. I've been on both sides of it. I can mm-hmm. let you know how things are on the other side. And I think one of the things that kind of gets lost in the conversation is that, you know, like men need to be stepping up and, you know, challenging men and stuff like that. But I don't think everyone necessarily realizes how ostracized men become when they do that. And because that's the thing, when I was living as a man, because I related and identified with women so much, can't figure out why. uh, (laughs) Because I was doing that, I (laughs) I was defending women, I was stepping up for women and I got less and less included. And I kind of, you know, was a boy who wasn't part of the boys club, you know, in a certain sense. And I think it's, it doesn't require just men to step up and call people out, but it also requires men to step up and back up the boys who are doing the right thing. You know and that's mm. i think the detail that gets lost it's kind of like you know it's not just it's not just be the first person but be the second person be the third person be you know that person who stands next to your brother and goes yeah what he did is right you know he stood up he said the right thing he leaked this video uh and i support him for doing that and i think he's great for doing that um and men need to be doing that Men need to be supporting each other not just supporting women if that makes sense mm.
0: Mm. Just one more from me on feminism. I mean, as a feminist, I've been watching the debate and the discussion about feminism and trans women, um, you know, that J.K. Rowling and others have contributed to. Do you feel as though the feminist movement has
5: rolled out the welcome mat to you? uh I, I think it's all, all kinds. Of, i know plenty of um women who have it tends to be women who are marginalized in another way so i get welcomed by lesbian women i get welcomed by women of color you know uh women with disabilities and stuff like that because they understand that being a woman is not the only way that you can be marginalized in society that there are other factors you know that intersectionality uh but uh cis straight white women kind of think they are the experts in what it is to be excluded. uh, And it's not true. Uh, And I, yeah, but it it happens. I think the the women who do include me realize that I have a lot to add to the conversation and that uh, that when you include all these people with these different experiences and uh, different, you know, marginalizations, you end up seeing the parallels. You know that the way transphobia and sexism end up being kind of parallels for each other, and the the things that affect me as a trans woman are also affecting cis women. You know the, you know the way people punish me for not being woman enough in my body is also ways that other women get punished because they don't menstruate the right way, or they're not able to conceive, or they you know their body is too hairy, like you know PCOS or endometriosis or any any of these things that um that their body has failed to be a woman's body in ways that mine has also failed and the stuff that affects me and marginalizes me marginalizes them as well. And they, if you help me with my marginalization, it's also helping you with yours
2: oh Andrew, it's just oh it's doing yes it so does nice delight to speak with you because what what you're really mm. challenging us to do which is what broad radio is all about is to just think of people as individuals not one homogenized version of being a gender and not one homogenized version of being a person or a woman or anything like you know just mm. let's look at the individual and celebrate each individual and their glorious diversity
5: yeah it's just uh my whole philosophy is just including as many people as possible and i think people don't realize how powerful that is i i do I, in my show i make two very oblique reference to asexuals i just say in the list of like uh queer people i include asexuals and i when i talk about transphobia i mention ace phobia and i've had people come up to me after the show and be like i am asexual no one ever talks about us that was so amazing i feel so included can i please have a hug blah 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 i'm like I just (laughs) mentioned you existed. I didn't talk about anything you're struggling with, anything you're facing. Like that inclusion is so powerful that just kind of even hearing yourself get mentioned when you don't normally, just makes people like wanna cry and wanna hug me, you know? And I'm like, why would you not wanna be doing that for people all the time?
2: Mm. oh it's amazing Anna Piper Scott thank you so much for joining us and why don't you get along and see Anna the tickets are at comedyfestival.com.au all the best with your season I know it is a ripping show starts tonight I'm (laughs) so excited I'm excited for you and it's had rave reviews so do get along and see it thanks so much Anna thanks for having me Oh my gosh, Ange, what a big show we've had. It has been.
0: (laughs) I just love celebrating diversity and celebrating difference and uh, it's great. It It is
2: is good. It's good for the soul. It really is. And, uh, you know, we talked about courage right at the top of the show and Mm -hmm. uh, I think You know, it shouldn't be considered courageous for Anna to tell her story, but it is. And it's courageous for the people who have been speaking out in and around Brittany Higgins and what's happening in Parliament House, they're courageous. And also I'd like to call out all the dads who are stepping into being the best dads they can, they're courageous as well. That's our theme for today's show. Courage. I love it. And it all just creates a
0: a fairer, a safer, a happier society. And, like, Mm. who wouldn't want that? I know. Are we Pollyannas wanting that? (laughs) I sometimes I find it hard to understand. You know why wouldn't you want that as your starting point? Mm. You know equality, diversity. This
1: is all good stuff.
2: Come
1: on, why are you (laughs) suspicious of this? What's happening? Exactly.
2: (laughs) Hey, listen, just before we wrap up, I have to mention our next poll question because it is. I'm I'm so like I'm I love my food, Ange. And uh, it is a delicious time of year. We have Passover yes. this weekend. We have Greek Easter and the other one, as you call it. <laughs> and whatever family time that you might be embracing at this time of year. And I just start roundabout now right through to the end of Easter, just shoving my face and putting whatever I can in there. Because between hot cross buns and chocolate and a lamb roast and whatever else I can find, um, yes. there's just no, there's no censorship for me. How do you go with that?
0: Well, the first point I have to make is hot cross buns suck. Oh, I just don't eat them. They are overrated. And I go to the supermarket and all I see are hot cross buns. They are tasteless and dry and often oh. stale and spongy. I can't <laughs> bear the texture. Um, so that's my starting
2: point there when it comes okay. to the other Easter. Well, we're celebrating Um, diversity today, so well done. I I, I celebrate you and your choices on hot cross. just felt good. That was cathartic. (laughs) Yes, good.
0: (laughs) So Orthodox Easter is the 2nd of May um, because it follows the Julian calendar and not the Gregorian calendar, Um, and that is my preferred Easter is uh, the way the Greeks do it because the food is better. (laughs) Sure. And look, I don't... Greek food is amazing. And so, look, most of my eggs I put in the savoury basket, I must say. So Mm -hmm. I'm more lamb on the spit, um, you know, uh, a whole barramundi, that kind of thing, you know, with some onion and tomato and olives on top. I like spanakopita. I like when it comes to dessert, I mean, honey is the top of the pops when it comes to dessert. So I can't do a hot cross bun. What I can do is baklava. Mm. I can do halva, you know, little Greek sweets. You know, the key is yeah. honey. Yeah, yeah. It's not It's not cream. It's not doughy, spongy bread stuff. It is honey. So, yeah, 2nd yeah. of May is the,
2: uh, is the Easter that I like. Well, but, Ange, I want to share with you a, a bit of a, a victory of mine. <laughs> Because I am someone who my whole life has struggled with extreme food guilt, which is really, you know, it takes the joy out of eating when, you know, I want to eat and I want to eat to the point where I'm really full (laughs) and I want to eat the treats, which for me is hot crust buns and Easter eggs and chocolate, lots of dark, dark chocolate, like so dark it's almost bitter, right? I want that. But then afterwards I'm just consumed with food guilt, which is based on, I don't know, some... Lie, I've been told that food is bad, and that I'm let it go. To, I'm supposed to look a certain way, or I'm supposed to deny myself yes. certain things, right? Well, I'm I'm 49 in a couple of months, and I think I finally, mm-hmm. I think I finally conquered the food guilt because I really have been just indulging this Hooray! last week. Yeah, it's a real victory for me, I've got to tell you. But anyway, so it leads me to our mm-hmm. next poll, our next more to say poll. And we're asking, it is a delicious time of year with hot crust buns, apologies to you, Ange. and whatever else is delicious at eye height. Do you, A, throw caution to the wind and eat all? Why deny joy? Overindulge and mm. then regret and then overindulge again, which i got to say, oh, that's a bit me. Enjoy responsibly, responsibly a treat here or there. Or do you avoid it at all? Mm. I mean, there are people out there who won't eat sugar and because they don't thrive on it and cel- I celebrate them. But if you fill that in, you may win a beautiful, gorgeous, Blanc de Noir mm. bottle of sparkling from Moores Hill Estate, which let's face it, that is the point of family time for me, is just it's gallons and gallons of red wine and champagne and sparkling <laughs> sparkling all the way, Ange. Absolutely. We are the same person when it comes to
0: that. Can I fill out that as well and go into the running for it?
2: No, but I'll buy you a bottle. Oh. I'll buy you a bottle from the lovely Moores Hill Estate as a celebration <laughs> of you. Greek Easter. Let's share that together. As we wrap up, I want to remind you, you can download this episode and all of the episodes of Broad Radio at Broad Radio on the go. That's our podcast there, wherever you get your podcast. And if I don't see you before then, have a wonderful Greek Easter. Thanks, Joe, and you have a wonderful other Easter. <laughs> and we'll be here <laughs> next week with more broad radio. We'll see you then.